friends, this is the time of the service when we open the Scriptures together and listen for what God is saying by the Holy Spirit to the church. So if you have your Bible, let me invite you to open it up to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And if you don't have it, you can take the one out of the pew rack in front of you, or you can follow along on the screen as I read and as we unpack these verses together. This is an Advent text. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and so it's good and right that we are continuing to get our hearts and our lives ready to receive the one who the prophets proclaimed would come. And so listen now for the words of Isaiah. We're reading chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us. A son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you noticed all of the babies that are being born around here these days? It is an incredible joy and a not-so-subtle reminder that nothing changes your life like a child. You don't even have to be a parent to experience it. In fact, and friends, you are all invited to come and taste and see what God is doing through the children of this church. So I want to invite you, come, be a part of children's ministry. Come on Wednesday night for Faith Club. Come on Sunday morning and help out with Children's Church. Come over to Avonlea's Angels and rock the babies and chase the toddlers. Come to our early learning center and read to the children. It will change your life. It will change your life. This week, we asked you to send in photos of the babies that have been born this year to our Timberlake families, and so many of you are parents and grandparents, and thank you for sending in the pictures of these amazing, beautiful babies. We are so proud uh, to have them, not only parents and grandparents, but all of us who are cousins and aunts and uncles and the family of faith together. Aren't babies wonderful? Aren't they amazing? See, this is the part of the sermon where I can just say anything because no one is listening. And everyone is adoring these beautiful, amazing babies that God has made and that God has given to us. I love that children are one of God's special ways of reminding us that life is good and that the world God made is good and that God desires that it would continue, that the earth would continue spinning, and that life would continue on this earth. Friends, there is a ton of bad news out there. When you watch the news in the evening or read the paper or you go to uh, your favorite website to get your news, there's a lot of bad news. There's war and there's political conflict and there's debate about immigration and there's broken health care systems. 
But when a baby shows up in your life, it's like God saying, you know, in spite of all that, life is good. Life is beautiful. Life is a gift that God gives us. I love the sound of babies in church. And if you are one who brings a baby and the baby gets fussy, please don't worry about that. That's just fine. And if you need to take the baby out, that's okay. But don't feel like everyone's looking at you and staring daggers at the back of your head. I know sometimes we get anxious about that, don't we? Especially when we're moms and dads or or grandmas and grandpas. Uh, It's great. We love to hear the sound of babies in church. Uh, We love when the children's Christmas program is happening and and the donkey is dusting the, the face of baby Jesus, and then Mary steps in to defend him and to protect her, her little baby. Um, I was, um, have we gone through it at least once now? No? You haven't seen all the pictures yet? Oh, my goodness. All right, keep going. Keep going. How many are left? Is that the first one? Okay. All right. I know we've seen Charleston. All right, we better stop because... No one's going to listen to me the rest of the sermon if we don't take those down. Uh, one church I served, we had the kids' Christmas program. And that year we had, uh, we had a baby Jesus. We had an actual baby, a real live baby Jesus. And it came time for the most quiet, most solemn uh, moment of the, of the service. And uh, everyone was super quiet and meditative. And the baby Jesus uh, filled his diaper. And everyone in the whole room heard it, and we all sort of uh, giggled and, and laughed. We weren't sure what to do. Some people were uncomfortable, but not the baby. He was fine. He was great, and he just was, was loving it in that moment. Uh, friends, I love the sound of babies in church because it tells us here is a congregation that welcomes all people, old and young. Here is a church uh, where we are claiming one another's children as our own. And we're saying collectively, we will take responsibility for these children. We will promise to encourage them and nurture them in the faith. I love that there are children in this church because it says to us, there are parents of young children who trust us to help raise their children as disciples of Jesus. Do you know how extraordinary that is? The parents of young children would trust us. Have you noticed parents of young children are a little picky? A little picky about who they'll hand their kids over to and who they won't? Have you noticed this? Okay. Yes. So rightly so, parents are protective of their kids. And they won't hand them over to just anyone. But they say to us, we, we trust you. We trust you with our kids to raise them and nurture them in the faith. Friends, that's an extraordinary thing that we have earned their trust. And so we do so with the full acknowledgement that welcoming a child into our lives changes our lives. It changes everything. When you welcome a child, it changes your eating and your sleeping. It changes who your friends are. It changes what your priorities are in life. It changes what your goals are for each day. When we welcomed our daughter Ella home, she's 12 years old now, but when we welcomed her home, from the hospital, um, Ella changed my life in, in lots of different ways. Uh, one of the ways she changed my life was at my waistline, uh, and I'll explain that. See, Ella had colic, and so uh, most nights from about 10 o'clock in the evening until 2 o'clock in the morning, she would cry, and so I would hold her, and I would walk, and I would walk, and I would walk, and it turns out 
This just in, you burn a lot more calories walking than you do sleeping. And so I lost a lot of weight for about six months. I'll put it all back on after that. But uh, yeah, Ella had colic for about six months. And so that was, that was our world. That was our life. A baby will change your life. Now, this is not a new idea, right? God understood this. And 2,000 years ago, God had this idea that God would change the world through the birth of His Son, Jesus Christ. But not only just in a macro sense to change all of creation, but to change your life and your life and your life and your life and my life and the life of every person who has received Him into our hearts. Now, the most tragic person in the Christmas story, I think, is the innkeeper, right? Because what's the innkeeper known for? The innkeeper is known for saying there's, there's no room for Jesus. There's no room. Now, that's tragic, but my hope for us is that we would be remembered as people who said there is room for Jesus in this church and in our homes and in our lives. Friends, this is what we're after during Advent. We're after life change. Now, we're after life change the whole year round, right? But during Advent, it comes into sharper relief that we get an even clearer idea about what God wants to do to transform our lives and those of our neighbors. And so that's what we're talking about during this month, during this season of Advent. We are talking about what it looks like when God changes the world and we get to participate. And so today, our next step is to welcome the child, to welcome the child Jesus into our lives, into our community, into our church. Now, I want to suggest to you that nobody really helps us to get ready to welcome the child just as well as the prophets do. For centuries, the prophets of God have been announcing to the people of God, hey, get ready, get your lives ready, get your hearts and your minds ready because the Messiah is coming into the world. And so John the Baptist said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And Zechariah said, Behold, your king is coming to you. And over and over again, the prophets of God came to the people of God to announce and to tell us to get our lives ready for the Messiah. And so this morning, we're going to read from the prophet Isaiah about what he says to us about getting ready for the coming of our Christ. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Okay, Isaiah is using a metaphor here, right? He's using the metaphor of dark and light. What does darkness mean? Darkness means suffering, right? Darkness means destruction. Darkness means illness. Darkness means war. It means death. The people of God, at the time that Isaiah was coming to them, were living with all of these things. They were encountering political strife. They were living under the oppression of foreign rulers who were ruling over them. They were being drawn into wars that they did not want to fight. Now, maybe we're not in that exact same situation, but we can relate, can't we? Because we've had darkness in our lives. We've had suffering and we've had illness. People we love have gotten sick. People we love have died, and so we live in those dark moments in our lives, and we say, God, we need some good news, and Isaiah says, yes, 
The good news of God is coming into the world, and He's bringing light. Now, what does light stand for? Light stands for joy. Light stands for relief from suffering. Light stands for new life. And so the Son of God is bringing this kind of light into the world. In the midst of darkness and suffering and death, God is bringing the light of new life. For centuries, the church has read this text during Advent. And can you understand why? Because this is the time that we get ready for the coming of the light of Christ into the world. Look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. God is fulfilling God's promises to multiply the nation. Do you remember God's promise to Abraham, the covenant that God made? He said, I'll make of you a great nation. I'll give you land, the promised land, and I'll also give you descendants. Remember that song we sang in Sunday school? Father Abraham had many sons, right? I, can't, I don't have time to sing the whole thing. I need to know you're with me. You're with me? Okay. The, the promise is coming true. Right? God has established the nation Israel, the people of God. God's promises are coming true. Therefore, the people rejoice. And Isaiah is giving them three really specific reasons to have joy. The very next three verses all start with the word for or, or because. So here's the reasons, Isaiah says. Uh, first of all, verse 4, for the yoke of their burden... And the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken. Okay, so this burden that they're carrying because of oppression, because of violence, because of war, like an ox would carry a yoke and pull a wagon on a farm, God has broken that yoke. God has removed it, that burden from them. You know, the rod of your oppressor that is used to control you, that is used to, to hit you when you get out of line, Isaiah is saying God is breaking that oppression. God is setting you free. Look at the next verse, verse 5. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. What does that mean? It means that the implements of war are being destroyed. It means that the people who were under attack are being set free from political and military action by their enemies. This makes sense? You see how this is working? Now we come to the climax of the prophecy. The third reason is the best reason of all to celebrate. Isaiah says in verse 6, for a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There is a new king coming into the world. Now, this new king also has a yoke, just like the old king did, but instead this yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And this king also has a rod, just like the enemy did, except that this rod is different because the rod and the staff, they comfort us. You see, this is a different kind of king, my friends. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. And so before where there was war and poverty and destruction and distress and anxiety and fear, now there will be peace. 
Now there will be peace. And the one who is bringing the good news is himself the good news in the flesh, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. A son is born for us. A son is given to us. He has all the authority in heaven and on earth. I want you to think of and try to get your head around for a second the kind of creative, prophetic imagination it would take to imagine this prophecy like Isaiah did 700 years before it came true. To imagine 700 years into the future about what God is going to do to save God's people. That God's instrument of salvation is going to be a little baby. And that's what Isaiah dreamed of on behalf of God's people. Look at verse 7. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, friends, the words of the prophets sound different to us depending on who we are. Depending on who you are and where you sit in this world and in this life, depending on what time it is in your life, these words may sound to you one way or another. You see, when life is great and when you're the one on top, when you're the person with all the power, this sounds a little bit like a threat. Can you see that? Can you see how when you get the news that there's a new sheriff in town and when some of that authority you thought you had is actually going to belong to someone else, You see how that feels like a threat to the powers that be? And yet, if you're on the bottom, if you're the one who's oppressed, if you're the one who's suffering, you know how this sounds? This sounds great. This sounds like the best news of all time. Finally, someone is coming to stick up for the little guy. Finally, someone can understand my pain and what I have been through. And so who you are makes a difference in how you hear the words of the prophets. It's amazing that the same gospel that comforts the afflicted also afflicts the comfortable. And so where we sit, friends, makes a difference for how we hear these words. If you're suffering today, if Christmas is not for you a season of joy but a season of difficulty and of depression because this is a time when you mourn the loss of someone you love because this is a time when you can't provide for your kids the things that you might like to provide. This is good news for you because God in Christ is coming close and his gift for you is peace. His gift is peace. You know why we call it the peace that passes understanding? It's because you can't explain it. You can't explain it. You can only receive it. You can only receive it and experience it. And the only place you can get it is from Jesus Christ. Now, now if for you life is sweet and everything's good and you're saying, man, I'm on top of the world and I've got everything I need and I've got all the power and all the authority and everyone else around me just does exactly what I tell them to do, then this is a time for you to say, whoa, whoa, hang on. When Jesus comes back again, I don't want to be found on the side of the oppressor because there's bad news for oppressors. I want to be found on the side of the oppressed. 
Is there someone in our community? Who's the least person? Can I come alongside them? Can I bless them? Because I can see God is blessing them. Can I be a part of that blessing? Instead of part of cursing them and oppressing them, can I be a part of the blessing instead? Now, I love that as a church, we have said we want to include the least. And one of those groups of least people in our world is is children, right? And so we've said we want to welcome children into our community. During the month of November and December, uh, we asked you to go and buy gifts and wrap gifts for children in our community, and we call it Christmas Blessings. And it is one of our favorite ministries here. It's one of the things that gets the most energy. And so here's a picture of us uh, wrapping and sorting the gifts that you brought. Uh, Because of your generosity, we were able to give gifts to 411 kids in this community. Friends, that's extraordinary. Because of your generosity, we are touching the lives of these kids. These are kids who might not have otherwise had these kind of tangible signs of God's love. They may have gone without except for your gift. Now, Pastor Matt and I got to go and deliver some of these gifts. You can see hundreds and hundreds of gifts. We got to go and deliver some of them to Sandusky Elementary. And I don't know if you spend much time over at Sandusky Elementary, but the guidance counselors and the teachers, they came out and they said, oh my gosh, thank you so much. We had a truck bed full and a truck backseat full. They said, this is incredible. They said, there are kids in our school who just don't have these nice things that the rest of us have. And because of you, they will have gifts to open on Christmas. Friends, I'm so proud to be a pastor of a church where we make other people's children a priority in that way. Another way that we're welcoming kids is through our food pantry. And um, I want to tell you this morning the story of one of our neighbors. Uh, Her name is Marvine. And I've got a picture of Marvine. Here she is with uh, our friends May Hamlet and Debbie Lester. And there's Marvine there in the middle. And uh, Marvine is a local person. She was born and raised in Lynchburg. And as she approaches 70 years old, uh, she's doing something quite extraordinary. She's raising her grandkids. And not one or two or three, she's raising six grandkids. I want you to take a moment to appreciate that for a second, about what your life would be like if you were sort of all grown up and you were maybe moving toward the end of your life and you had raised your kids already, right? And you said, okay, whoo, I'm, I'm getting too old for that now. I'm not, I don't have enough energy. And then through some circumstances that you can't control, those six grandchildren came to live with you. And not only that, but you're not in an economic situation where you're able just to provide them with everything that they might need. And so you've got six mouths to feed, including your own. And so what would you do? What would you do in that situation? I know my financial situation would be different if I was feeding three times as many kids as I currently have, right? And so this is what Marvine said to us. She said, it's so good to know that your Timberlake food pantry is here to help families like mine. The people who serve here are so kind. She said, they make me feel like I'm part of the family. They never make me feel ashamed to ask for help. I do not know what I would do without you. Friends, we have this extraordinary opportunity to change the lives of children like Marvin's six grandkids. We can touch their lives. Now, Marvin's story is just one story, and there are hundreds right here in our community. There are thousands. I don't know if you're aware of this. More than one out of every seven kids in Campbell County lives with food insecurity. More than one out of every seven kids 
lives in a home where they're not always sure where the next meal is coming from. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's shocking to me every time I hear it because so many of my friends and the people I associate with, we have so much more than enough. If you go and look at my pantry at my house, there's enough food to feed my family for weeks probably, right? Maybe yours too. There's plenty of food. And yet, and yet not every family enjoys that same kind of material blessing and abundance. And I wonder if it would distress us as much that other people's kids are hungry as it would distress us if our own kids were hungry. I hope it does. (laughs) I hope it does so that we would say, you know what, it's not okay with us. We're not going to just sit back and twiddle our thumbs while there are hungry children in this community, but we want to do something about it. So tomorrow we're going to do something about it. We're going to take an offering. We're going to ask you to bring a big gift. We're going to ask you to reach deep. We're going to even make it hurt a little bit maybe. Bring a gift and give, trusting that God is going to use this gift to change the lives of these children and their families. And we're going to give 100% of that gift to feed families in our community. This is the last thing I want to tell you today. Remind you of a story. Uh, Jesus was talking with his disciples, and they were arguing. They were arguing, as disciples sometimes do, and they were arguing about who was the best and who was the top disciple, about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And they were saying, hey, I'm going to sit at Jesus' right hand. He I'm special to Jesus. Someone else said, no, no, I'm going to sit at Jesus' right hand. And they are arguing about who was the greatest. And this had to be one of those face palm moments for Jesus, you know, where he's like, oh, my gosh, you guys still don't get it. And he took a child, and he put the child right there in the midst of them. And you know what he said? He said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Now, friends, at Christmas, we talk a lot about what it means to receive Christ into our lives, right? We talk a lot uh, in evangelical churches about what it means to invite Jesus into your heart. Do you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And that's kind of an ethereal idea. That's kind of out there, right? It's deeply spiritual, but sometimes it's hard to put your finger on, what does that mean to invite Jesus into my life? Well, surely, surely it at least means this, that when we welcome the children of this community, we are welcoming Jesus himself. Let God's people say amen. Amen.